Smurf Village here. There's a romance happening behind me. Yeah, there's a little love right there. There's a lot. I, I'm trying to figure out what this fellow up there is going to do with that sledgehammer that he's got in his hand or whatever that thing is. I'm, I'm I would gonna... like to think that he's just going to go fix something. He's... <laughs> he's looking a little bit like that's, a, you know, he's got a little handy, terrorism in his that, eyes. I don't that's know, Handy man. Smurf. That's Handy Smurf. He's just going to fix uh, someone's, you know, door. Their doors yeah. open. Is that and Sleepy Smurf up there looking at him, looking good? God, I wish I was Sleepy Smurf. I loved the Smurfs when I was a kid, man. I know it's like sort of like a patriarchal racist show, but like I loved it. I loved the Smurfs. My my so two two quick quick things. One, my best friend from high school, uh, shout out Dan Munoz. Uh, he says consistently that Gargamel is a lady. <laughs> Without like without he will he will argue with you argue with you about this for as long as you want to argue he will say Gargamel is female. Hey man, <laughs> who knows man? We we don't need to. We be don't know. We don't know, know man. I'm gonna say it's just one of those mysteries best left completely in the cosmos. I totally agree, man. I totally yeah. agree. Gargamel was a goon, man. Yeah. Um, I we you know we I, I don't know Tom and Jerry's is not like an '80s show, but like. For some reason in my mind, Tom and Jerry and the Smurfs are intertwined in like my affection. And I have a feeling it's because they would come on after each other or before whatever, like sequentially when I watched cartoons as a kid. Um, but uh, yeah, like there's a Tom and Jerry feel to the Smurfs versus Gargamel. I mean, they're just like, I mean, there's just words. I mean, Tom and Jerry chased each other around for 80 years and never said a word. But like these guys, like it's the same kind of dynamic. All of those shows are inappropriate for children now. So I don't know any of those. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> uh, I, so we, um, we picked the Smurfs because um, they all have these kind of unique, distinct personalities and talents. And like our guest, Vanessa, who's the GC of Rippling, is like super multi-talented. And I think we thought she's sort of like all the Smurf village wrapped in one. Um, she works for this super interesting company called Rippling, which Alice is now a customer of which I encouraged us to look into. And the story I want to tell about Rippling is interesting. When I walked in at my last, at Session M, I walked into work one day and um, the woman who had the desk right next to me, Ann Boris, was like, we just had the best software demo we've ever seen. Nice. And I just, I, I laughed because I was like, I've never heard anyone say that before. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody says, nobody says there was the best demo. They always just are like, that yeah, was pretty good. You know? <laughs> no one raves like that. And she was like, it's called Rippling. And uh, it's super, it's super, um, super interesting software. And it's HR IT software. <laughs> Again, I was like, how's that? How's that? How's that the best demo you've ever seen? And then I flew to San Francisco and I was driving, as you drive from SFO into San Francisco, there is this main highway in and there's all these billboards. And like, yeah, yeah. one of the signs that you've made it in Silicon Valley, San Francisco tech land, you get the billboard, your yeah. tech company has that billboard because we're used to on the East Coast or the Northeast or like seeing billboards for Coca-Cola or like, you know, other other like brands. But in, in San Francisco, it, it's like- It's all tech, tech yeah, yeah. Are you the tech company got and Rippling had a huge billboard and I was like, they're onto something. And then I saw that Vanessa went there and I was like, of, 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 of course. course, like, of course they, they picked up someone that strong. And so. Um, Vanessa's A plus man. Yeah. I've known her a long time. I've known her longer than I've known you. Um, yeah. Tell I, me how you, tell me how you guys met. Cause I don't, I don't know that story. She was working at, I think live ramp. Um, and I was early, early days at Oracle. And uh, we got into a negotiation together and she was the other side. And that's how we met, um, became pals there. Like, and it was, it was a rough, rough and tumble negotiation in the sense of like terms. Like we just were very far apart. Um, and it was a long, you know, I mean, it's Oracle. So like, it was a long drawn out 
negotiate and at live ramp. This was a long drawn out negotiation. Um, she was a great uh, person to sit across her and her team. Like it was just a great negotiation experience, and we hit it off from there. We've stayed in touch ever since. She's a plus. That's happened to me a bunch of times. That happened to me with Twitter. Um, Data Zoo had a contract negotiation with Twitter. The lawyer on the other side was a guy named Andrew Woods, who I'm still friends with to this day. He's an incredible commercial lawyer at Twitter. Um, he has a team of, of you know commercial attorneys at Twitter, and uh, and you know we hit it off, kept the relationship going, realized we had a bunch of friends in common, um, people that live here um, near me, and I love when that happens organically. Me too. Me too. Yeah. I, I mean, it's like the best. It's kind of like organic friendshiping through the job, right? So it's pretty good. It's pretty right. good. Let's go bash on some, uh, like, uh, bash our hands on the tables on some laws and regulations, man. I'm here for it. All right. Well, this is a great, good conversation. Uh, I'm looking I'm forward excited, to it. I'm excited, man. I'm going to climb that ladder in a second. What's up behind you? Wait, what's I up? I don't know, man. I'm, I, I'm like so curious. It's like an attractive nuisance. I need to climb it. <laughs> I don't know what's up there. <laughs> All right, here it is. All right, yeah. Here we are. We're, We're here with Vanessa Wu from Rippling. Uh, we've got the Smurfs background here. We were just talking about TikTok, which is interesting. Vanessa now has a Smurfs background. Perfect. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, like, quickly with TikTok, this is very interesting to me. You said you were going to do some potentially do compliance videos for your team on TikTok. Um, that led me to wonder how big is the team <laughs> that you have now at Rippling and um, and what led you to think about compliance videos <laughs> on TikTok? <laughs> well, I think I was I was commending you on um, doing this, doing this podcast. I don't know if you can call it a podcast, but podcast series, 80s podcast series. A very WandaVision um, on theme and uh, not sure where you had the time um, because we were contemplating, we're always, I think we all are just like as in-house attorneys thinking about how you get like whether it's privacy or other compliance related content really like digested by folks at the company when it's not part of their their day-to-day -day job you know like people have revenue functions or they're building products and how do you make it impactful and memorable and um you know i i found tiktok as part of this pandemic it's incredibly addicting and we thought let's create rippling uh, legal and compliance TikTok videos, and we'll start sending out 15-minute clips across the company. We only made it to like three. It turns out creating content is really, really hard. Like first, you need to find the sound. Second, like how do you convey what you want to convey in 15 seconds? Third, how do you edit? So my hat's off totally to Gen Z and like incredibly impressed in their ability to just pump out <laughs> like pretty entertaining 15 second video our video. secret our secret weapon here vanessa is gonzalo Velos, who who works for alice and is a video editor so so he's our he's our producer and he produces a bunch of content for alice and i think that's becoming it's becoming a thing you know particularly for for brand and as you're a growing company kind of building a brand having a video expert is really key so he's been huge for us and he's been a huge supporter of this show and um, we, we wouldn't know how to do all that stuff on our own. So it's been really helpful. I might, I might pick it up again. I, I went on a deep dive on like best compliance videos out there. And I was saying my down favorite compliance video, which you guys should look up is consent as tea. It's this YouTube video about, about like getting consent before you have sex. Um, but it could be like, I've thought about you know, like inserting privacy on top or asking the folks who made those videos. It's Blue Seat Studios. I've actually talked to them. They're super expensive. Um, it could be privacy consent. It doesn't have to be like sex consent. And it is hilarious. It is a, a hysterical video. Can I make a plug for like Reels? Can we like make these work videos on Reels where there's all these cool tools that you can use on a larger platform or IGTV can, where you don't have the 15 second constraint? Just saying, there's some, there's some cool options out there by the big blue. 
Um, no, I'm kidding. You're, you're, are you in sales? These days, I'm in sales, yeah. man. I sell, man. Um, you know what's interesting is like the TikTok Reels relationship is so fascinating to me because you see a lot of the same content on both, obviously. Um, and some people make Reels content and put on TikTok and vice versa. Um, and I just think like what's interesting is like TikTok lets you link to your Instagram and, you know, whatever. Like there's all of these kind of, I don't know what the right word is, like symbiotic relationships between the social platforms. That is just super fascinating to me. But at some point, I think we run out of like, <laughs> like how many social media apps can I have? Like how many can I have? I, I don't, I don't know. There has to be a limit. Because you get older, the limit gets lower. Well, I, I never, I never got a Snapchat account. So I feel like I've missed a whole generation of social media, but I'm totally like, I feel like I vibe with the Gen Z content creation community and i know you i know you work at at facebook so you got to do the plug for reels but uh i, I think facebook's main main product is still it's still got to be instagram yeah. you know like if you want to talk just like so so like why do all these companies make these products so they can sell ads like instagram ads by far some of the most impactful like effective like super tailored like you want to, you want to click on them. I have not seen on any other social media platform uh, ads that that are as good. Frankly, a great point. It's one of the only places I've actually bought. Same here, by the way. I, I want to tell you, it's the only, and I'm not saying this because I work here. This is before working at Facebook. Like, it's definitely the only social media platform that has led for me to a buy. I think yep. that I think that's right. I think TikTok is sort of chomping at at the heels a little bit and like their their ad content like they they figure out a way to have kind of that native ad content where it doesn't feel super in your face invasive like pop up click baby because it, it it's entertaining and they let you just like skip it if you're if you're not into it there's a good there's a good methodology for frequency capping to, to you know to, to get into the the jargon here a little bit. There's a good, they clearly have a good methodology for frequency capping and they clearly have a good um, algorithmic way to predict when a conversion has happened. Because I, when I bought, I bought shoes um, and I had been searching all over for a specific type of shoes. I saw the shoes, I bought them. I didn't get, I mean, I think you expect a certain amount of retargeting after you convert for the same thing. Not a lot. Like you, it actually slows down and stops pretty quickly. And so for people, the three of us that are sort of veterans in this space, you look at that and you're like sort of quasi impressed by that, I think. Can, can we talk about TikTok's like move to like not let people opt out of personalized ads? That was last week, right? I feel like TikTok just came out with that announcement. Have you guys read this? I don't know. Have you read this? I haven't. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like TikTok essentially made... I mean, I don't know the inner workings of it, but the headlines suggest that TikTok is making personalized ads mandatory on their platform. Um, and they're dancing around Europe, as, as you would expect. But like, that's, that's, I mean, if you just Google TikTok ads and hit news, you'll see that that's the big story. Um, so they're essentially, I'm looking at some of the headlines now, it's like TikTok will force uh, personalized ads on its users. TikTok will no longer let people opt out. TikTok will make personal ads mandatory. Those are the three headlines that pop up when you type in news. Um, and so, like, that's a different direction, right? Like, I feel like the, like the the direction of travel is kind of headed in in a, in the opposite direction. So it's a bold move by TikTok. Any, I know if you just learned about it, it's hard to talk about it, but um, I think it's a bold move. I don't know what, how else to describe it. We just have to see how it lands with users. I mean, I think, I think this may be bold to say, but I don't think personalized ads are, are the enemy or the bad. Neither, clearly. Uh, like, I think most people hate the garbage of when we did not have personal ads and you just had a whole bunch of like bad ads on websites or being, being shot at you because they were low value. And so then there's more ads to support these platforms. Um, I think like the issue, like as, as all of us being privacy attorneys that worked in ad, the ad tech space is like when the data is used inappropriately to create personalized ads. So like, I think the press cycle around like personalized ads being bad is, is a bit 
overblown in a, in a misstatement versus like what's going on behind the scenes. And I'd care a lot more about what's going on behind the scenes than just like requiring some level of personalization. Cause like, I could definitely see the argument for all these platforms, like Instagram as an example, I would hate Instagram uh, ads if they, if they were just like really annoying crap for lack of so you're saying like all that like if you just had a string of like earwax ads you would be annoyed yes the answer is yes right like i would hate that or like nail fungus ads like you know like just like strings and strings of weird things personalization is not new like when you bought a magazine back in the day those ads are not not personalized they're saying like hey you're buying cosmo you're probably a woman and you're probably in this age range and so these are the ads we're going to show you. You're, you're not going to see, um, you know, like a kid's toy ad in a Cosmo mag. Same like if you have like Golf Today or something like that, you're probably not going to see, um, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, an, an ad for, yeah, an ad for like, you know, the new uh, cookie, chocolate chip cookie recipe, right? Like I, I totally agree. Um What's interesting to me is that you mentioned like ad being misused, uh, excuse me, data being misused for ads is the problem. And, and I think data misuse in general is the problem, right? Um, uh, whether it's for ads or any other application. But what's, what's sort of daunting to me, and I've been thinking about this the last couple of days is, I think you're right, Vanessa, like, okay. So some of the media hysteria around personalization seems misplaced to me. Like the idea that personalization is inherently bad, even in the context of ads, just doesn't land in my brain as thoughtful. So then the problem though is that now we're seeing in reaction to all of this hysteria about the, the drawbacks of personalization or whether it's inherently evil or bad or harmful, uh, especially regarding ads, is that you see legislators react to all this noise and proposing bills and laws that ban personalized ads. Like what problem is being solved by that? Like, I don't, I'm not sure I follow, especially since like content is really the issue that's like radicalizing people. I'm still looking for the ad that radicalized me, but I know that there's a lot of like really crazy content out there that if you know, like you end up being in the content bubble, I just don't know about the ads content bubble. I'm sure there is. And I know there's some ads that like are not true and false, but that's a different issue. That's not a personalization issue. That's a, you can't lie in ads issue. uh, Right. Um, and so anyway, interested in your thoughts, like how, why is like, why does the personalization of ads is bad message land? And why do you think it's like, how viable do you think is like legislation that's calling for like sweeping bans on personalized ads? Yeah, I mean, so, so something I've been thinking about just like the past couple of days is um, why is the press cycle around privacy always so negative? Mm-hmm. And why is all legislation around privacy reactive? Mm-hmm. And in fact, like, I mean, so so Andy and I are no longer in the ad tech space. I felt that in the entire industry was, was reactive. Like it was a business where you weren't really able to control your own destiny in the way that you would want to because you were constantly like reacting to just consumer sentiment, but not even really consumer sentiment. It was like sentiment manufactured by bad press cycles. And then as a result, legislation reacting to those bad press cycles. Uh, Like I, what I struggle to understand is why, why we can't have just an honest discussion about what we're really talking about when we talk about privacy or data protection, which isn't personalization of the ads or, and it isn't that the data is in China in TikTok's case. I mean, it might be, but it's, it's about like, is our data being used in a way that's respectful? And do we trust the folks who have access to it? And, and like, how can we gain that trust with, with consumers? And that's so hoity-toity, obviously. And like, it's hard to write legislation around that, but like, that's fundamentally what it is. And then when there's the lack of trust, you can create a ton of hypotheticals and crazy like boogeyman's about like foreign governments, you, you know, in Europe's case, the U.S. foreign government using that data inappropriately, or in the U.S.'s case, the Chinese government using TikTok data inappropriately, and then people are kind of hijacking 
the privacy news cycle for geopolitical means or hijacking the privacy news cycle to pass like totally unrelated legislation and gain advantage in the ad tech or like big tech space since it's it, ad tech is really also Google and Facebook and Apple and all of the platforms that Amazon. Yeah, exactly. I think you nailed it. I think you nailed it. It's like we, we talked about misuse before, but but when you zoom out, you know, to answer these questions, it's because the focus, the focus of the regulator or the focus of the person or people writing the law is the feeling of the fact that big companies have ad-driven business models and are making a ton of money and are creating environments that are potentially anti-competitive and they see this happening and tech the tech is a massive black box to them and so it feels completely like a world they can't wade into so what what can they do but but what you said Vanessa hijack the something that they understand which is like this is a violation of people and their privacy and I'm going to hook in on this because I can't understand all this other part, but it doesn't feel good. And I know if I latch onto that, then I can create a law and I can, you know, get my pound of flesh in and we and we can, you know, attack these tech companies who, by the way, have a ton of resources and they can fight back and I'm not so worried about them. And so like, you know, we know they'll always be push and pull. I'm speaking as the politician now and they're just like, okay, this is a game I can play. I can probably win. I'm not going to hurt too many people too much. I'm not going to hurt my own fundraising coffers. It's just this constant like sort of that. I think that's really, if you zoom out, that's what I maybe at my opinion about what it is maybe. But let me add some thoughts before you chime in, Vanessa, because like I, I really want this to play a part in your thinking when you respond to that, which is I hear you, Andy. And I think a lot of like the fervor for regulation comes from like this idea that tech companies are consolidating power and being anti-competitive. But it's really only the ad-driven tech companies that are getting a lot of the scrutiny or not ad-driven, but ad tech companies that generate tremendous amount of ad revenue are the ones being attacked in this way. Because let me give you another example of tech companies that do some of the dating apps, okay? Anytime a new dating app comes along, Match Group or one of the other ones buys it, right? And there's massive consolidation with the exception of maybe Bumble that somehow has figured out how to stay independent. Interestingly, it's run by a woman and founded by a woman in resistance to like the like bro uh, dating app culture, which I think is amazing. Um, and they've been able, Bumble's been able to maintain some independence, but all the other ones like, I don't know, man, Tinder, Hinge, whatever, what Harmony, they're all owned by like two companies. Right. Massive consolidation, massive, you know, you could argue I'm not a, a contact a competition lawyer, but like clearly anti-competitive. If you're buying up all the all the incumbents are buying up all of the like uh, emerging companies. And here's what's interesting. App dating apps would be a complete failure and useless and worthless if they weren't personalized. Hard stop. Like if I, I'm a straight male, if it was showing me straight males, the, the experience on the app for me would be worthless. Right. Like actually worthless. Like I'm not looking to date straight males. Um, if I'm a gay male and it's only showing me women, then it's worthless. So like and the level of personalization is extremely high. Right. Like I want to date particular age groups and I want to date people in a specific location and I want to date people that have gone to college or not or whatever, whatever all these criteria are. Super personalized online experience, tons of consolidation in the industry by a couple of companies owning most of the players. Where's that regulatory scrutiny at? Yeah, I, I'm curious how how you both fell into ad tech and privacy, or I guess privacy um, generally. But I don't know if you you both know this about me. I I was an antitrust lawyer um, at at Latham, and um, and the interesting thing that I I quickly learned about the antitrust laws is that there's basically two levers. There is don't price fix, like don't agree on price or have weird agreements that raise prices for consumers. And two, don't have too much power that you start raising prices on consumers. It's all about anti-competitive effects, they say, which is usually meaning like if you if you weren't so big or you weren't having these illegal agreements, the price would be a dollar, not a dollar fifty for the consumer. 
that type of thinking is just wholly inequipped for the world that we live in. That is about like selling widgets and like that widget now costs too much and you can measure and you get all the economists in and they're like 50 cents was that premium and now we're gonna penalize you. And so when you have ads driven or data driven businesses, um, like to Andy's point, legislature, like you have to look to legislature because our current like enforcement bodies are unable to really penalize these companies for this feeling of too much market power and dominance uh, because the antitrust laws are not in the US are not equipped to handle it. Like even Amazon, which has super low prices, like where's the harm to the consumer? Prices are super cheap. Well, Facebook, Facebook are free. <laughs> right. you, can't get, you can't get less than free. And then there's no concept of, um, you know, sucking in too much data as, as being like a consumer harm because it's not, it's not tied to price. So like but you look out in Just so, just a, I love, I, I love that we're talking about something that you're a deep expert on because here's what's interesting to me, going back to my dating app example, dating apps mostly start off as free. Let's just use Hinge. Hinge is free. It's cool. It's a trendy dating app. Whoever buys it, I think it was Match. Now Hinge is a like, uh, like a confusing maze of payments that have to be made for things that used to be free. Like, hey, I want to match with this person. Now you've got to buy a thing or pay for a subscription or or do all of this stuff. I understand they have to monetize. I get that. But like you can make the argument that like the consolidation in that industry is resulting in costs for things that didn't cost anything prior to the consolidation. But that's not happening in a lot of the like particularly Google and Facebook context. Like we, nobody's charging anybody anything. Yeah. So I mean, so so like wild attention on, on Google and Facebook because the market cap of those companies is just orders of magnitude beyond like a match group. That said, like match group consolidation is that somewhat risky like from my former you know antitrust attorney self i don't know a ton about how they do consolidation i do know that they own most of the dating app industry and they would very clearly point at bumble as like the reason as a you know key reason why they can continue to acquire new dating app businesses but uh you know the doj and fdc do look at at other other companies I worked on a number of industries that you don't even think about, don't get the light of day from a press perspective that are very consolidated, like horse betting and racing. There's only a couple of horse tracks. Uh, there's only one media outlet, maybe two that covers horse racing. Like there are these markets that you don't even think of that do get scrutiny from um, uh, from the DOJ and FTC. So I, I don't know that they don't have any scrutiny. Um, it, it could be that competitors haven't really complained. I do feel that a lot of the scrutiny, unfortunately, is politically driven or competitor driven. And it's usually competitor complaints uh, that that drive a lot of this. And, and it also has to do with content, Vanessa, like the, the companies that we're talking about put out and, and, and put out or allow the distribution of a lot of content and and so much content that people are consuming that they're so visible in a way that match group is not you know it's visible to a whole segment of people but um it's different i think you know you mentioned this earlier pedro like the the tension around the issue the, the really important issues about content moderation and what's coming out on social um it all adds up to the visibility. It sounds right, Andy, but here's yeah. the thing. Here's the thing. Deciding to go after, I get the like IRS strategy of like, get the celebrity in jail and then that everyone else falls in line. Like I totally understand that. But if you're in the fairness and equity business, like the FTC is, okay? And I'm picking on dating apps, but it's important, okay? All of these cost things, you know what that, you know what they create? If you're from an underrepresented community or low income, you can't participate in online dating, right? In a meaningful way, or you now have a disadvantage in participating in online dating. Like that's a direct effect on my life in a way that like, you know, my IG feed probably is not in most instances, right? Or my like TikTok feed, like, uh, or, or whatever. And so like the idea that like, 
for me to engage in online dating in a meaningful way on most of those apps now requires a minimum financial commitment of like 50 or $60 a month. If I have to choose between that and my electric bill, I mean, it's obvious. And so like, I can't make that choice. Now the pushback on that is, well, there's lots of free options, but they don't level, it's not a level playing field then, right? Like, and so like, you're kind of like uh, uh, reinforcing a lot of damaging, let's just say historic realities by creating these paywalls and these things. And, and, it's, it, and it, it sounds goofy in the context of a dating app, but like you build your family based on dating. Like that's how people meet significant others. Like this is a material, real thing. Like it's not like it's some like goofy activity online. Like people go on there to like do meaningful things, like find a partner um, and, and, you know, build families and do all of these other things. So now when you create this cost prohibitive experience, I would argue that there's a real fairness issue there. And especially like the idea of like, I point at Bumble, but I own 10 dating apps. just doesn't resonate as real to me, but okay. Yeah, but like, so, so this is, this is like my issue with big, the big tech argument is like, yeah, Facebook and Instagram and Google and, and others can offer free products and have ad supported businesses that are extremely effective and run their whole business on that ad generated revenue because they have like, what is it like 90 per, I'm making up stats, but it's a significant amount of all new ad revenue going to those big tech platforms. If you were a smaller platform, how are you, you don't have the, you don't have the eyeballs or the mass to be able to fully support your business on ads because you're not, you don't have the audience to bring to that marketer. And so you're going to have to chart. I mean, I think this is like the struggle that small publishers, small local newspapers have, like they try to run ad supported businesses and they think about like, do I need to get in cahoots with Facebook and Google and share a ton of the revenue or should I pay wallet, have a smaller reader base? less access to news, but like at least be able to earn something and pay my journalists. And so like, I mean, think that is like the struggle, right? With like legislatures and about fairness. It's like, it, it, yeah, we want to have all of this stuff for free for consumers, but like businesses need to earn a living and pay the people making the free stuff, um, like the free content or the, you know, like I, I think Bumble and Hinge and all of them would probably want to have a paywall on their products if they could earn and grow their revenue just through an ad supported model, like really effectively, because like that would be better for get they, they would rely on people coming on their platform. So like <laughs> instituting a $50 paywall is actually bad for their business. Yeah, well, I'm not one like I know we're picking. I'm picking on dating apps, but I, and I'm not one to like sit out here and like defend men forever. But the only people paying, mo I bet you, if somebody did a study on who's paying for these things, it's going to be all men, right? Um, it, 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 for the most part, which creates another issue, right? Like, like, like the male subsidization of like online dating and what that means for what features are created and whether they disadvantage or advantage women or do different things. It's just an interesting problem to me. And I think like the idea of like pay for play is much more complicated once you inject like fairness, equity and equal access into the equation, which historically hasn't been something companies think about. But regulators kind of have it both ways. They can't say we need you to be equitable. We need things to be fair. We need we need broad access. But we also hate that it's that it's sponsored by ads. We also want to want you to make personalization illegal. We want you to make platforms available to billions of people, but not generate revenue. Like th th these things are not compatible. So like, yeah, well, let, let's be honest. It's not a hundred percent the regulators as much as like, I'd like media a, yeah, I mean, like my law firm, we were representing big tech companies and, uh, and like people have political interests and they're trying to, they're trying to achieve an agenda and Definitely, these big tech companies are out there ratting each other out constantly. Kind of these regulators, like trying to get an advantage. So it, it's like Google's attorneys trying to kind of hate on Facebook. Facebook's attorneys trying to hate on Amazon, and, and vice versa. Because any sort of sh slight shift is going to be a huge, a huge windfall for whoever whoever can come out of that. Yeah, I know. My case is not that like the companies are like exonerated everybody's guilty here of different things I, I i guess my point is like to your what you mentioned earlier being the most important thing is like how do we have a meaningful conversation about what to do because i just don't feel like we are what you know yeah. i just don't think so yeah well i just I, like why why I, I know why i was interested in privacy which was 
around um, around like the data is around surveillance actually that usually is the root of it it's like how do I you know I don't actually and this might be personal to me I don't care about personalization of my data or use of my data for personalization of ads as long as it's done respectfully and like that data is not shared with the government and then used in all these other ways and I was actually I'm just given like all the the Asian um like discrimination news cycle that's happening right now I was I was like re-reading about like Japanese internment camps of all things because it doesn't get that much press and I was just trying to remember like what I learned in high school on that topic because that was actually like such recent history and a lot of people who were uh, interned in Japanese internment camps are still alive and when we talk about privacy and surveillance we're always talking about like Nazi Germany like Germans care a lot about privacy because data of the population was used to to have, have all of these horrible events happen to the Jewish community um, in, in Europe. But also in the US, I didn't realize the US census, maybe, maybe not, like unclear if they've publicly acknowledged this, but in all of the literature I was reading, they were using that data to identify Japanese Americans for Japanese internment camps in not too long ago, you know, mid 1940s uh, onward. And like, when I, when I think about privacy, that's what I really care about. I really care about like knowing that the data is, is not gonna be used for these nefarious purposes, which sounds like super alarmist, but like has occurred and has occurred in not, like not so distant memory. Like that was my- Even, was even more recently, even, there's genocides in other countries where information is like, that doesn't get coverage broadly. Like it still happens. Right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Recently. So like your point is, is, is very well made and, and received like, Pedro, we have to let you go, Vanessa, because I know you have a, 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 another meeting to go to. So like we could talk for 12 hours about all of these <laughs> different things. Um, but these are great points and I'm glad we covered, we covered nothing that we wrote down that we said we were going to cover literally zero. We covered zero of the things that we- hey, that Since we've been talking about dating apps though, you see the dating situation behind Andy's left shoulder there? There's a little bit of a romance going on there. I'm just putting that out there. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he, he, he met her on Bumble. I came out on Bumble. Good. That's the dating app I support, run by women for women. That's the right one. Well, I mean, I I feel like I've missed out on, you know, like I'm I'm like grasping at it with TikTok. But I, I met my husband in college, so I missed out on the whole dating app like part of life experience. And I'm always trying to to you do know, like vicariously through friends help them with their profiles and and swipe but it's, it's not the same i feel like i am missing out on on real life experience here that and snapchat i'm glad we covered this ground this is important <laughs> shout out to the dating apps yeah sorry i was picking on them all day but like... <laughs> all right well vanessa thank you for joining us this great great conversation and um um thanks a lot just really appreciate thanks, it thanks vanessa thanks for having me all thanks, right, thanks to alice uh, for putting this on and um, talk to you guys soon. Yep. Thanks, Vanessa.